Hello, Ben. How are you doing this evening? Uh, I am so very, very hot. Just, I, I think I'm going to get dehydrated by how much disgust. I've been on a bus today as well. I had to get on a bus wow. and I had to walk very fast to get the bus in a shirt and trousers. <laughs> by the time I was getting on it, I was just embarrassed by how drenched I was in my own sweat. Sorry to be disgusting. It's a lovely but, image. What uh, are we talking about today? What are we doing? Well, are we, doing we have here? with us uh, Jemima Kelly of the Financial Times. Hello, Jemima. Oh, hi, Jemima. Hi We've there. been here the whole time. That's what we always do. Um, And we're here to talk about the uh, devaluation of truth. Uh, It's a column this week, uh, on this week of the recording. Lying politicians are a product of society's devaluing of truth. Indeed. It's a nice nice change to uh, my normal, like when I'm invited onto things, normally people want to talk about the devaluing of crypto. And Mm. I I can't believe I've mentioned that without even being asked about it because normally I try and... (laughs) Avoid that because I just get asked about it so much. So it's well, a nice change. Uh, yes, that's something I us understand so little of. Probably we might we might not have to touch <laughs> on that at all. Yeah, yes. We'll give you a break on that one. Ben knows zero about crypto. So originally, when we were talking about getting getting you on, it was like, can you just explain it to me? Like I'm a dumbass. <laughs> like yeah. um, but yeah, not today. It's actually, not today. Okay, good. It's actually a surprisingly difficult thing to do to really. Like someone asked me that the other day, like to give them a one minute description of, well, actually of my issues with crypto and like what it is. And it's quite difficult to, mm. to do successfully. Yeah, I just don't think it'd get through to me still. <laughs> so we'll just move away. We'll avoid it. Okay. People who say they understand crypto are basically all lying anyway. No one really understands it. So well, That's why I kept this well away from it. I had yeah. a, a family member who kept telling me they had 14,000 pounds worth of it and it was going to put, use it for a housing deposit and I kept being oh. one I was jealous <laughs> thinking well if only I could do that but I wouldn't I, but also I was kind of spitefully thinking spitefully thinking yeah you're going to lose that and, and did. did they yeah <laughs> yes. oh dear well oh, I mean that is sad I mean I actually yes, genuinely I do feel sad for people who that happened to who are like I feel I don't feel sad for the people who are trying to like get everyone in all the people at the top like all the crypto bros like the evangelists who are who are preying on people like this family member of yours. Yeah, well, we still managed to have a crypto yeah, conversation there. Go. Good, let's Done. move on. So we're drawing a line under the crypto conversation. Yeah, Good. let's move on. Nice. So, uh, well, the only note I have is this quote from the author Jonathan Swift from a 17th century essay on political lying. lying. Falsehood flies and truth comes limping after it, so that when men came to be undeceived, it is too late, the jest is over, and the tale have had its effect. Oof. So here we are, 400 years later. That's very good. That's quite a good quote for, like, um, things going viral that aren't true on... Like social media, because the thing that goes viral, you, you know, goes viral. <laughs> and then the thing that they put out later, that someone puts out later saying, by the way, this isn't true, never goes viral because it's not very interesting. Yes. And I've read, I've read somewhere as well that, uh, that political lies, even when people come to realize the truth, they have still had an influence, they still had an effect. Right. That's it's actually, I, 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 not to, um, 
you know, give away a future column, which is obviously very valuable, but... (laughs) (laughs) To you, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And to the people who read it, of course. (laughs) But actually, I keep on thinking, it's actually not my idea, but I've kind of... uh, But but it's my colleague... My colleague's idea, but he doesn't want to write about it, so I want to. Um, which, it. which is that? <laughs> so he he made a point about like how um, when election results are called, like when the early results start coming in, that that actually influences how the election gets seen in the end. And I think that's so interesting. And then I made the point that and this is my this is why I get to make to write the uh, the column, right? <laughs> I made the point that maybe like. Would January the 6th have happened had we not had those early results that, like, showed Trump doing really well? That's and, interesting thought. Mm. You know, like, because people... It's a little bit like being told that lie and then that kind of lie stays with you because you kind of... Your brain can't quite adjust to, like, thinking the opposite thing. And I do just wonder whether, like... And I, and I wonder whether for, like, our democratic, democratic process we need to, like, stop doing that and just, like, announce the, the, the result... When, when we have all the results in. I think it maybe added to an inflated self, uh, sense of injustice and because it's all online now and people can follow it like minute by minute by minute and then they're all talking to each other and egging each other on and then they can create a sort of false narrative that, that the fact that the results changed, even though it's you know just because the results are trickly and then, they, then when people start creating these narratives, they obviously spread yeah. around the world very, very quickly. Yeah, totally. It probably begins even before the the results day, doesn't it, with the polling? Yeah, absolutely, that's true, polling, actually. Yeah, polling going up and down in the months leading up to it. Yeah. 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 So, the pollsters are liars, so I'm joking. <laughs> Sorry, Karen, I'm only joking, I'm joking. Quoting an, a quote from 400 years ago about political lies. And, oh. um, so, in a way, well, we could be going back all the way to... This current climate of our post-truth politics, as the as the phrase goes, I mean, we can go back. It depends how you could go back just to the Iraq dossier, the expenses yeah. scandal, EU referendum. Mm-hmm. What well, does it's not? Is is it? I think. Do you think things are worse now, um, or is it because of the social media age? So I uh, think um, a few things. So one is like the idea of post. The post-truth era was not was actually the, 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 that term post-truth was was coined in like 92 um and there was a book written called like the post-truth era in like 2004 i think and then it was the word of the year in or oh, it's not really a word is it but it was the word of the year in 2016 like oxford english dictionaries word of the year um for obvious reasons um namely like trump and i think obviously saying that there's weapons of mass destruction um when there isn't is a bigger lie than um well definitely than boris than some of the the lies boris has been telling right but i think i think the point about post-truth or the or one of the points anyway is that and certainly with trump it's the kind of um lie bombing it's not just that like he told some really big lies that like um were really important and then like the rest of the time he was telling the truth it's just that like he had no he had no kind of qualms about lying constantly and he didn't even have any qualms about lies that were provably 
false. Like like mm. the thing about the inauguration numbers, like saying that it was like the you know the highest turnout at inauguration when we could all see it was like an empty you know empty, and like you know he he, he doesn't care and his supporters don't care either, and so it's. It's actually this this term that I refer to in this column, and I'm not the person to have like first applied this to politics. I think, in fact, the first time I've seen it um, used in the context of politics was actually a New York Times article, um, but it might it's probably before that as well. That was from 2017, and that's kayfabe, the idea of um, this professional. Do you guys know about kayfabe? Like, yeah, have you discussed that? From yeah. wrestling, as you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, exactly. So, like, <laughs> I, but I do think that's a really useful like no, framework. Please, please do explain. Okay, yes, kayfabe. Yeah. So, kayfabe is like the practice of maintaining the illusion, of maintaining an illusion that like um, what's going on. So, in the case of wrestling, that what's going on is like real, even though it's all scripted. And there's a nice little line to draw from like kayfabe to Trump because he famously was part of some wrestling kayfabe yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's this like I, I just think it's because it's really hard to understand why people who support him don't care that they're being lied to um, but somehow when you think of kayfabe it kind of helps explain it because like they're all in on it and mm. it's all a big show and because we've devalued truth in so many ways as we'll kind of get to like it just, it just doesn't really matter. And they don't really feel like they're being told the truth by anyone else anyway. And it's quite interesting because I think in populism, you see this line quite a lot. Like you see it far more than you do in kind of non-populist politicians that like they're lying to you. They're lying to you. They're lying to you. And it's like, you know, you see it on Fox News constantly, like Tucker Carlson constantly telling his viewers that they are lying to you. Yeah. And they often are like lying to you. But, but, but somehow like... It, it leaves it leaves people kind of without anything to turn to, and there's no like you know, especially in the U.S. There's been this, you know, it's it's a kind of massive cliche just to talk about how polarized things have become, but they really have, and there is like, I actually really personally value having the BBC because at least we have like a shared source of truth in this country, and like America doesn't really have that, right? Mm. Yeah, and so, and even though obviously people will crit criticize the BBC, and I'll criticize the BBC, but like, at least most people believe that like they're going to get some facts on like the BBC, and they can broadly kind of trust those facts. Whereas like, no one can really say that about any broadcaster or newspaper in the US because people on the right just don't believe the New York Times and people on the left obviously don't believe Fox you know it's just like it's it's just there's no shared kind of truths um, that people can agree on and so it kind of leaves this vacuum and then it starts to kind of chip away at the value of truth because you don't really know what the truth is anyway um, so yeah yeah so a couple of things that are interesting the Populism and the polarization, uh, that's an interesting concept because then you've, as you said in, I think you've said in the article about people not calling each other's untruths out when it's on your own side. Mm. Yes. Um, or we could start with the wider devaluation of truth. Um, and the funny thing about, one of the funny things about, um, say, Donald Trump is that, like you said, it's, it was like, so many lies, and yeah. so many of the, so many of them big, but so many of them uh, very very small small ones. I think I read somewhere that they kept track that he had famous he'd made more than 
30,000 false or misleading claims, but some of them were so small. And that's parts of that could happen in this country as well. Uh, you know, whether it's saying your hobby is creating wooden buses and painting them. For some, <laughs> I mean, some might say that was possibly made up uh, for just bizarre reasons. But if once you can start making up little ones... Um, there's another quote I've written down. Uh, Whoever is careless with the truth in small matters cannot be trusted with important matters, Albert Einstein. Oh, so, that's, that's a good one. It's, it's just, it's, when you start, you're able to lie about the small things, it's very easy to lie about the big things. Um, but you've given an example in, in how people do it as well, um, in lots of small ways. I think I was reading a, a study earlier that said people on average lie once or twice a day. Now, these often can be harmless lies. But there's sort of dishonesty is a sort of in human human nature, mm. uh, and you gave quite. A few, I found your example quite amusing in your article about how we tick the box in um, <laughs> when we're saying that we've read the terms and conditions. Yes, I mean, <laughs> people, some people have like said that this is a really petty example, which I did predict, but I do feel <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, it's one thing saying I agree to these, which is like not a complete lie because you're just like, I know that you're not going to have said anything outrageous. Google, like, yes, I agree, right? Well, you probably are, but, like, I'm not going to care enough to, like, you know, not agree with it. But, like, when you have to do the one that says, I have read and understood Mm. or, like, I have read and agree, well, I never have. And um, and I do the ones as well where you have to, sometimes there's a, sometimes very rarely you get the ones that actually make you click onto a separate page and scroll through it all. (laughs) And I still just imagine, yeah, I'm just just there going, scroll, 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 whatever, Yeah, exactly, you just scroll. And it's a little lie that you've made a little contract and said, yes, I agree, yes, I have read it all. And it is, yeah, it's just, it is a casual it's just so casual and it's not that like I think some people have misunderstood that example which is obviously my fault for not writing it better but like the the point of that is just to say how casually we kind of and systematically we are even we are kind of asked to to lie and that we just do it without even really thinking twice about it I mean I was brought up by a mother who like valued honesty above all else and you know in a in a way that really like was just really annoying because it's just like oh do we really have to like be honest about that you know sometimes it's just like you really just it was it was annoying as as being brought up by someone like that but it really did instill that in me that like that we really that truth really matters and I just don't think that like we really have that at the moment in our society there's just much more of a kind of we run like the way that we discuss things is much more about how things should be than how things are and the thing about like the truth is that if you don't know what it is, then, like, how are you going to make anything better? And how are you going to, like, you know, make make changes that can actually help people? Like, there's so much bullshit in, like, so much of our discourse. And, like, it's just not being driven by kind of reality. You know, it's uh, yeah, I could I think, really I mean, rant about this for a yeah, long time. No, well, that's what you're here for. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. the, um, <laughs> uh, it is interesting. And, and like the, I think that the, the idea of post-truth is that the truth kind of doesn't exist in, a, in a, any kind of meaningful way. Obviously, the truth exists, you know, but, but, but nobody knows what it is. Um, really, really, discourse is about fighting over what truth is. Mm. Um, and there isn't anybody, there is no arbiter of the truth. Um, even even in you know kind of um, 
like data science and those kinds of things, they're only the 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 outputs are only as good as the inputs, mm. and the inputs are garbage often in, garbage out. Pretty false, yeah, exactly. Um, so it is, yeah. I mean, I, I I often find that yes, with when we've talked about this on this podcast actually before about about this the kind of discourse being around like, well, I know better than you what is happening in front of my eyes, mm. and let's have an argument over what is true and what is not. Yeah, and that's kind yeah, of people have their own truth from reading. Yeah, their own facts, their own alternative facts and alternative information. Or even two two people in a room or two people on the street watching the same event would see it differently, wouldn't they? Well, that's a really interesting thing because I think another thing that's happened is like as as, because obviously, you know, um, without trying to like navel gaze too much, like the media is obviously we're, we're meant to be the ones who are like putting the truth out there. Right. Like that's literally our jobs. And, um, you know, the politicians, of course, they're going to lie and they're going to, you know, there's going to be spin and like there always has been. That's not a new thing. But like we're not meant to be like that. (laughs) And um, Matt Taibbi talks about this a lot because he talks about how like his dad, I think, was a like, you know, came from a working class family and like became a journalist and and how like now nowadays, like all of us sound like, you know, me. Like everyone's like middle class, it's like a middle class job. It didn't used to be. And so everyone's from like the same kind of cultural background Mm. and that creates a problem. And, and sorry, that the the thing about that you said about media, like, sorry, about two people seeing the same thing um, and, you know, sorry, seeing the same thing happening and having two different takes like in the past pre-social media, and I do think this is one of the big problems. There was like, let's say there's a speech being, you know, Boris resigns, right? Like everyone who's seen that resignation, all the different newspapers and news outlets are going to have picked up on different things. They're going to have kind of thought that that thing that he said was interesting or that thing was important or, you know, that body move, body language was, was something to, to write about. And then you're going to get like, you know, 15 different front pages or whatever, right? And maybe in that case, like, people are going to pretty much say the same thing, which is Boris resigns. But, like, you know, people are going to – the article is going to reflect different things. And these days, as a journalist, you've got Twitter to look at before you even write your story. Like, you're constantly on – like, you're even at the Boris conference. You're probably looking at Twitter to see what people are saying as well. Mm-hmm. And so there's this, this, this massive kind of consensus created. So even if, like – or, like, see people – people who you would kind of agree with, people on your side, what are they saying? And God forbid you would like, you would stray from that because then like your editor also will say like, hang on, hang on, like the Times is saying this, why aren't we saying this, you know? And so there's this like massive, there's this massive kind of homogeneity in what goes out. And like there used to be, that didn't used to happen before like the internet or before social media in particular. So that's um, an issue. And then like, I think... Just going back to, like, Trump, I think one thing... In fact, this didn't make it into the column because I think people get a bit squeamish about, um, you know, about media criticising other media, which, you know, which I completely get. We're getting deleted scenes here. Yes, this is a deleted (laughs) scene. Um, um, So it didn't really... It didn't really... I didn't have a chance to, like, fight this one and to keep... Because I I would have normally tried to keep this in because... um, there was this editorial that Jim Rittenberg, who was then the media columnist, wrote in the New York Times in August 2016. And I don't think... I'm, so I'm not saying that this was what changed the game, but I think it's kind of emblematic of a change. And I think perhaps it did have an influence in, 
in changing the game, but I think it was also a product of what was already happening. So he wrote this 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 column, so three months basically before Trump was elected, saying, um, and it, they put it on their front page, you know, a big, big kind of important column, um, saying that like the rules of, the old rules of American journalism needed to be chucked out. The rule book of American journalism, I think is was the phrase, needed to be thrown out. And that the, new, that the old rules didn't apply and that um, journalists needed to take a more oppositional approach. And the, the, the kind of old rules of objectivity just didn't apply anymore. And like, it's a really kind of astonishing column to read, especially like the beginning of it and um, and even the headline about kind of object, you know, rules of objectivity needing to be changed or something. I've forgotten, that, forgotten what, what the words are. But it's like, it was a real, so I think what happened is the people who felt that they were on the right side, um, mm. rather than like keeping on doing what they had historically done and just reporting the facts, thought that Donald Trump was such a threat that they couldn't do that anymore and that they needed to become kind of campaigners. And personally, I don't think that we would even... I think that, that that kind of climate creates people like Trump. And like, but, you know, as we were saying before... If, if people who vote for Trump don't believe that, like, the other side is telling the truth, that's going to make them more... The people who are kind of a little bit undecided, that's going to make them more likely to vote for, for Trump because, you know, he says it as it is, apparently. You know, so, like... Mm -hmm. So, so for me, like, there was a big... I do think... So even though I don't think that, that Trump ushered in this era and I think that he's a product of it, I do think that him becoming president did create a big shift because it created... It turned like it turned the other side. It changed the. It it made them kind of decide to fight fire with fire. Uh, yeah. mm. And 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 I do think that was really a kind of. And I'm not sure that that has really. I don't think that normal service has like resumed. Like I still think. Well, especially given that like people are worried that Trump might get voted in again, and there's just. I actually wrote a, um, a, a, it was a, it was a, I used to um, write for FT Alphaville, which is our like blog and you, we can be a bit more, we doesn't really go through the editing, a normal mm. editing process. So you can be a bit cheekier and stuff sometimes, sometimes you get in trouble for being cheekier. Um, <laughs> but like, so I wrote this thing and I did slightly, not everyone was thrilled about it, um, which was just before Biden's election. And so there had been this, I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was this, um, interview with Biden. I think it was at one of these like COVID event things. I can't remember. Some big fundraiser thing that Gaga was involved in. Anyway, Biden was being interviewed with his wife. And he I think the interviewer said, why should we, why should people vote for you? And he was like, oh, because we don't want four more years of Georgia, Georgia. And then his wife is like, uh, Donald Trump. And then, mm. <laughs> so then like, obviously, it's like, that, yeah. So this is like, yeah, okay, right. So literally it's like a week maybe before the election. People are already calling him Sleepy Joe. Obviously the Republicans jump on this. They start like putting it on their Facebook pages. You know, Fox News has jumped on it. Everyone's like saying, look, the guy doesn't even remember the name of Donald Trump. He still thinks George Bush is in power. <laughs> and, and um, which is obviously a bad look, you know, given that like, yeah. given, given how many people were saying that he's senile, et cetera. So then, um, all these like fact checking, not just one, like several fact checking websites, which, you know, I believe 
a little bit disingenuous a lot of the time and, and kind of comes back to the fighting fire with fire thing, said that this was completely wrong because actually they delved into Joe Biden's head and fact-checked his own mar- <laughs> fact-checked <laughs> Biden's yeah, brain and said that actually um, what he meant was it was because the, the interviewer was called George was called George Lopez. So that he had suddenly started talking to George at that time, which is so patently not true. Like if you watch it, said so a it's not true, and like I've showed it to several people, no one has thought that. And b even if it were true, you can't fact check that because that's literally Joe Biden's mind, and we don't know what's in his mind. You can't fact check that. And so they put they put like um and they they even gave it like their highest lying rating, like the pants on fire rating. <laughs> Um, and it was just like, I think that's PolitiFact that does that. I've forgotten which one it was. But they, but whoever does the pants on fire gave it a pants on fire. And it was just completely disingenuous. So I wrote this kind of rant saying that, like, you know, um, this was not... You can't just lie. You can't just lie about about the guy just because you want him to get voted in. Yeah. Like, that's not the way... Like, it's such a short-termist approach as well. Like, even if that did succeed in the short term in getting Biden in, like, there are long-term consequences to, like, chipping away at the trust in the media. Like, that's not okay. Um, but apparently, like, someone tweeted it and told me that, like, he had... A, a fellow journalist, not at the FT, had, like, said to him, dude, like, you, that's not cool. You can't, you can't tweet that a week before the election. The stakes are too high. Stakes too high. I yeah. just think that's yeah. crazy. I just think, I think the stakes are so high. That's why I think you can't behave like that. Anyway, sorry. Bit of a rant. Yeah, so... Yeah, you know, really, this impetus should be to be um, guarding your integrity and, and your truth uh, even more closely. But um, I guess it's in the age of populism, with everything being divisive and passions being so high. I think, I think, and with, you know, political tribalism so bedded in, people are more tolerant of lies and misleading claims on their own side. You know, and you go back to the referendum. Uh, you know, one campaign run with a misleading claim about a, a gross figure instead of a net figure on the side of a bus. Mm-hmm. I think there's exaggerations and and uh, on the Remain side as well. And but I, I met people from both sides at the time who who knew there was there was misleading claims and exaggerations in their own side, but they they were so passionate about their own cause that it was it was worth it. And and all the things you were just saying about people opposing Trump. Same again, and I think there is a sort of a, there's a phenomenon where people will find out or know that that their own their own candidate, their own side, has lied, and they find out they've lied, but their their support doesn't dip anymore. It, you know, doesn't make them uh, lose support. And yeah, you, totally. In your article, you had um, research conducted during the 2017 French presidential campaign showed that wealth. Fact-checking of candidates' claims improved voters' knowledge of the issues. It didn't shift their policy conclusions. Mm. And so people not concerned as maybe they should be about the truth. They've already picked their, picked their side. Totally. Um, it's, like, it's like the Brexit thing. Like, as you say, it's like... I remember hearing James O'Brien saying that, like, the only reason that people voted for Brexit is because they were lied to. They were lied to by Boris about this figure that was on the bus. It's like, it's almost, it's quite condescending. Like, no, that's not actually why. <laughs> they just wanted to leave the EU. And you don't like that. But that's not because... <laughs> I mean, maybe some people were swayed yeah. by that. But like, people, people, sure. ca- yeah, people just don't care. That's the thing. Like, we're not 
people don't care as much as and I mean even even you know that 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 example it's it's you know that's like a figure which doesn't really even mean very much to people like most people would probably struggle to like tell you what the government's budget was anyway so like however many hundred million like you know it's a number like it's hard to know yeah. what to do with that number anyway yeah it's interesting to say about the fact check because that's really become a big thing in the this modern modern post-truth aid politics where they're becoming um people see them as, as important um to to fight back against the like false false claims uh made by politicians who seem to be um you know habitually dishonest um, but in your in your column, and as you've just um, been saying, you, you um, touch upon them having a, uh, problematic practices themselves, and and some studies have shown that they they don't exactly say what they do, what they say it says on the tin. You, well, yeah, no, I mean that's like that that the best example I think is is the Joe Biden one. I mean, but there are loads of examples. Like, <laughs> who was it? It was I've forgotten. I don't want to I don't want to defame anyone, but someone like a, a newspaper had to archive. I, I Anyway, I, I won't say it was a US newspaper, but I've forgotten which one had to archive one of their fact checks, which I just thought was funny. Like just, just like archiving it, just, I don't know, just like, I guess they didn't want to delete it, but it was about um, the conspiracy theory again. So like, because it's, it's about like, who's saying, who's saying uh, something, you know, and if it's Trump, then it has to be wrong because it's Trump, right? And yeah. so, like, and fair enough, like, obviously, he does say a lot of, he does tell a lot of lies. So, so the instinct to not believe him is obviously completely fair enough. Um, but, but so, like, going back to the origins of COVID, you know, so the idea that COVID did not does not have natural origins, which has still not been established. Like the WHO still says that all hypotheses remain on the table. And the WHO hasn't had a great record with, with COVID anyway, but like they now say all hypotheses remain on the table. Um, yeah, it's not clear yet. It's it? not clear yet. So like, and obviously there's like a difference between saying that like that China did this deliberately and that, that it leaked accidentally from a lab. There's like a really big difference, obviously. Yeah. Um, but so... Or, or that China, or that like other people say that like the U.S. whatever, whoever someone did it maliciously and deliberately is is obviously one of the theories out there. But like so um, so uh, so like so they fact checked anyone who who said that there was a possibility that it had leaked from a lab, and there was one guy in particular, and I've forgotten who it was, who who said this got like this. Um, I think it was a republic. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Got got fact checked. Um, and, and other things got fact-checked, like, for example, maybe this is the one that got archived, actually, that Donald Trump said there's going to be a vaccine by the end of the year. Mm. And everyone was like, lol. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> all yeah. the scientists were like, it's going to take five years. And, you know, um, and so they fact-checked it. And he was right. Like, he probably he probably made that up, like, out of thin air. Like, he probably didn't know that there was a vaccine coming. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But, like, you know, obviously he lies all the time. So, but, like, you, but, but you can't fact-check... <laughs> You can't fact check that. So, like, you know, and there's political motivations themselves behind the people who well, exactly. are worried about science. Clearly. That's that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, like, you know, there's just such a the people who work for fact checking organisations, the people who work for media organisations, the people the people who work in social media teams in like across um, you know across businesses as well. That like you see the same issue because there's such a kind of homogeneity of culture in these institutions. I mean, if you look at academia, I don't know if there's if anyone's done a study 
in terms of um, the media. But if you look at academia, there's been a massive, massive increase in the number of people who like vote Democrat in academia in the US. There's just barely anyone on the right who is in academia. And that means that there's just not much kind of heterodox thinking. There's this, there's the, the, John Haidt, who wrote the book with Greg Lukianoff, the, the coddling of the American mind, has set up this thing called the Heterodox Academy. I mean, he, I guess, is a Democrat himself. Like, I, I'm pretty sure he is. In fact, he is a Democrat, he told me. Um, but he doesn't believe that, like, having everyone thinking the same thing is actually good for academia. And mm, I think, yeah. I think, I think you see that issue across a lot of institutions, and there's a kind of disconnect between, often with like a social media team as well. Like in a, there was that Halifax thing last week of like, this, you know, them saying that they were going to announce they were going to use um, pronouns. pronouns on name badges, yep. which is like great. And then they, like, they announced this on Twitter, you know, and then people started saying, actually, I'm not like this is annoying. And then, then they started telling people if they didn't like their values, they could leave the bank, which is a weird thing to say, I think. Because why, like, I don't know, it's just a weird, like, it's weird for a bank. You don't really need to agree with the values <laughs> of a social media team at a bank. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's um, a bit bizarre. But... but yeah, so so I think there's like that disconnect. Because um, I do think that like, you know, so, so just to go back to the COVID thing, I think, and to the kind of notion of truth. And obviously, like, there are, I think people will say that. You know, I spoke to this philosopher who was kind of talking about the impact that kind of postmodernism and critical theory has about in terms of the kind of um, the idea that, that all claims to truth needed to be debu debunked and like this idea that, you know, truth needs, truth is all, you know, it's all relative and it needs to be put into context and all of that. So that's had an impact. Um, I think we touched upon this at the beginning. Like if you can't, if you're not allowed to, I think, I think in a culture that I don't want to use the term, but I'm gonna, um, because I hate it, but kind of in a, well, I almost don't want to cancel culture. I do. I hate the term, but I do think that there is something. Um, there's a reason that we suddenly have that term, and people will say, yeah. "Oh, it's always existed." Blah blah blah. Um, and this kind of climate of like being shamed if you if you say something that's not the kind of accepted tr truth in inverted commas, like mm -hmm. that does mean that, for example, with the COVID stuff, like there just wasn't really because you weren't really allowed to, to, to question the idea that it, it escaped naturally, which it still might have, like we still don't know. Like that doesn't create a good climate for finding the truth because no one wants to go and find it out. And like truth about some things is like, you know, whether or not Boris Johnson was told about Chris Pincher, Pincher by name, Pinch that's like that's like we kind of we kind of know we kind of know that like you know that what the truth is about that but some things are much more complex truths and some sometimes it comes to like what what do we need to do about the inequality in our society and like what's the truth about why this inequality exists and like you know and and once we get to that truth we can we can kind of try to change that. Like that's a really, really, really complicated question. And so it requires a process of like discussion and inquiry. And I personally believe that you need to make that process as open as possible to all different points of view, including people who you really just think, gosh, that's such a kind of unacceptable opinion because you kind of need to, even the practice of, of kind of, um, of, of arguing against that unacceptable opinion is really quite important to you reaching 
you know, even on a kind of personal level, like I find it really useful if someone makes a, makes says something really, you know, out, that's something that I consider outrageous because I'm forced to explain exactly why it is outrageous. And so I just think that like there's a kind of process that's required for reaching the truth that is not really possible in a climate that doesn't really allow that. And I do think that that is the climate that we have. Yeah, and we don't value, we're not valuing truth yeah. enough. Or maybe we're valuing it too much. I guess that's the thing, isn't it? It's, um, it's if you attach so much importance to the endeavour of, or, you know, you, you attach your, your own value to what the truth is and... Like you say, like actually figuring out what is the truth is 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 you know impeded by my my stance mm, mm. and my 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 preconceptions. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, but that's more about been... beliefs, isn't it? But then those beliefs feel like truths, I guess, to you. But um, so it's about having the kind of strength to question your own beliefs, mm. um, which I just don't really think is encouraged at all. Um, Yes, and as we touched on, you, uh, valuing our beliefs so highly that we value them above the truth or, or not motivated by our own beliefs more so than the truth uh, and, uh, and and combine that with tribalism, then you yeah, you, you just want your own side to win. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, totally. isn't it but it's <laughs> <laughs> it just shows um how much goes into writing a column and how you've got to boil it down to so much you've obviously had lots, oh my god it's so hard I would, I would i would find it so much easier to do one of those like substack like four thousand word rambles um <laughs> yeah, because it's just it's really hard boiling down stuff to like 800 words and my my like i have a cuts document each time and it's always like longer than the final column <laughs> It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting point to make, though, because when, you know, it's talking about, you know, I've been, I've keep, I'm annoying myself how many times I use the phrase now, but, you know, the post-truth politics cliche mm. phrase and, you know, your um, the first two words of your column title, lying politicians, could have gone a different way, isn't it? you know, people like to talk about how we're living in an age of dishonest politicians, whereas you've made a point that there are products of a society's devaluing of truth and there's a wider problem um, in which, in many ways, we're all, well, not all of us, but many, either the public or the media are all uh, part of the problem in a way. Um, and there's so yeah. many aspects to it as well. I mean, I was thinking earlier as well that um, that disregarding of politicians or lumping them all into one as well, it's common, isn't it, to say all politicians are liars. Um, and they are kind of salesmen, they all sort of stretch the truth and everything. But once you say that all politicians are liars, you've got nowhere else to go when you have a political figure who really is just blatantly dishonest, yes. flagrantly dishonest. That's true. Uh, and that just opens a way up. You know, if you've been saying all politicians are liars all the way through, when someone comes along who really is, you know, when the wolf comes along, if you like, yes. then you've, you've no one's listening to you anymore. I mean, um, I do think that's like a wider, I think that's a real, like the kind of crying wolf thing is so strong at the moment. Like, 
I just think that we do it so much and we like feign horror and shock at like these tiny things that aren't a big deal. And so then when the thing comes along that is a big deal, it just doesn't really have the impact that it should. It's, it's yeah. a really strange phenomenon. It's really odd. Like, yeah, you see it in America with, with, with um, I think that, uh, you know, when people, um, the way they discussed Mitt Romney, for example, um, that was so sort of out of whack that when it came to Donald Trump coming yeah. in, they had nowhere else to go because they were already using such extreme rhetoric for a man who was, yes, they might not, you know, he was a agree with his um, political views or his religious views, but, you know, he wasn't, uh, you know, a Nazi or a fascist or whatever. He wasn't, he wasn't a demagogue and uh, it, it, where else have they got to go when, when Donald Trump came along? Totally. Um, and I mean, I dare, I mean, this is a little bit of a controversial thing to say, but like that could happen to us. Like Boris is not Trump. Exactly. And, I was and, just and even say Trump, that Trump is not Kim Jong Un. You know, like there's still there's always further to go. <laughs> like, well, we were saying before further. we before we um, before we started recording when we were talking about we didn't want to, you know we went we went here to talk about things that had uh, gone on uh, in the week of recording, but but yeah, it's all seemed very dramatic when he was holding on and not wanting to um, not wanting to hand in his resignation. But there was a lot of things on Twitter about making out that. You know, he was basically going to install a dictatorship, and that's been going on for a while, isn't it? That we we're a few steps away from a a fascist fascist dictatorship, um, yeah. and it's, it was just yeah, so over the top. It, it really didn't make much sense, uh, and yeah, I agree with you. It's I think that um, I think that the way we've acted with um, with Theresa May, uh, but yeah, especially Boris Johnson. Yes, is this very problematic character in many ways, but. Yeah, he's he's not he's not Donald Trump even. Yeah, uh, it, and it's not so. totally. And it's interesting, like in the, I often notice like when I listen to US podcasts and stuff, they really do think about him as if we he was like the British Trump. It's weird how yeah. that has, or more so than we do, more so than even the left does here. Like because no one really, you know, makes that argument that like they're they're as bad as each other. Like I don't think that's really. Something that people say, but 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 it's funny that in the in the US they have that kind of image of him. Yeah, I just think there's quite a lot of um, performative hysteria sometimes well, yeah. as well because because they hate him so much they want people to think that and that's you know that comes back to the you know it's okay to be dishonest if it's you know if you're standing up for a bigger truth or a bigger uh, sense of justice. Yeah, well that's that is an interesting one, um, and I don't even quite know. Where to go with that? Well, yeah, because I wouldn't want to say I wouldn't want to, even though I would criticise people for playing for for kind of fighting fire with fire. Um, in the case of Donald Trump, I wouldn't want to say like an absolute. It's never okay to be dishonest for the like. I think it definitely is okay to be dishonest sometimes if it's going to have a greater if, if for the greater good. But I do think that deciding that that someone who like half of a country supports is is terrible and therefore be, kind of being dishonest about that i do i think that's an issue but i don't think that means therefore that like all dishonesty is always bad obviously because there obviously are times that no, well where we all that, that's when when i was quoted earlier about people on average lying twice a day i'm sure most of the time that is harmless because we do you've got it's almost it's a tool isn't it because whether you're sparing someone's feelings or you know or exactly yeah 
uh, you know, are you going out tonight? No, I've got this to do. Actually, I just can't be bothered to go out. <laughs> you know, so yeah. It's always, it's, you know, there is no 100% honesty. It's not possible. That but, actually uh, brings us to a column that, that, that I think we probably aren't going to have time to discuss about feeling overwhelmed. And it was so nice during COVID to be able to just say, to, well, not say, like you didn't have to say it. You just didn't have to do anything. Yeah. And now, you know, there's just no excuse for not, not doing something. In fact, so I've, I've noticed that some people do actually say they've got COVID when they just want like a bit of a break <laughs> from <Yeah>. life. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's an easy way of getting out of some people going into the office and things. Yeah. Some people, some people say the Prince Andrew didn't really have COVID during the Jubilee uh, celebration. No. Yeah. I don't believe that. Of all the things he said. We were saying is, he, didn't, he wasn't at Pizza Express, then it? So, <laughs> or he's, uh, he can actually sweat. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was believe, the, best, the best thing. The sweating Not something thing I could favorite. say in an interview. <laughs> well, that was all very interesting. I'm glad you were able to, uh, to um, expand on the, uh, on the column. Um, thank you very much. Thank you. I think we've just about covered that. I'm shame we can't go on to your other column about the uh, great overwhelm that people are feeling in the post-pandemic age. Don't think we we'll have time for that, but people can read that. Yeah, I'm very interested online. in that. That would be yeah, that would be good to that would be good to talk. That about would have been good. Yes, yeah. but we just um, covered so much there, and um, I fear that my children will be home soon, um, <laughs> and that will be my own great overwhelm. So, <laughs> thank you very much, uh, Jemima. That was uh, very interesting. Thank you. I hope and I didn't rant did. too much. No, well, you know what? This is, as, as regular listeners know, and Matt will say and think that it's just one of the rare times where a guest comes on and I didn't have to be told not to talk of. <laughs> oh, no. Have I broken, have I, like, set a new record? No, for... it's a good thing. It's I'm trying to learn to shut up. I've almost got, like, an ADHD thing where, oops, I'm, I've got somebody on, but I seem to be talking <laughs> well people presumably <laughs> tune in to hear you so that I guess seems so, fair enough perhaps. but yeah. when we've got a guest on we're getting you on for a reason so so thank you um i was a bit nervous before because i was just so prepared i was hoping really <laughs> hoping you had plenty to say and you did so that was great <laughs> <laughs> i could yeah, have carried you. on to be honest like <laughs> thank I, you I, I could really yeah. yeah that's a big subject <laughs> it is a pretty big truth yeah <laughs> okay cool. well and that's that for today. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, I think, talking about something else, which I also am not prepared for. So, <laughs> we'll as see. always, as always, yeah, huh. yeah. That's it then.